sports science, strength and conditioning, high performance coaching. Welcome to the Decoding Excellence Show. Hey everybody, it's Adam. And today, instead of my typical pre-show advertisement, I just wanted to briefly touch upon the fact that I have a newsletter that goes out every single Friday. And uh, the way I've described it to my friends and, and close people around me is it's like the birch box of newsletters. You really don't know exactly what you're gonna get in the newsletter, but it's usually chock full of different research articles, different things I find fascinating. It could be songs I've recently listened to that really invoke some sort of response or just the little things that maybe I've acquired or purchased that have brought a lot of value in my day to day. But check it out, head over to adamringler.com forward slash newsletter sign up pop your email in it i promise i will never spam you and uh, immediately start receiving these emails i think you will absolutely enjoy it and you won't regret popping in your email thanks so much hey everybody welcome to the show today today we're going to be discussing on the decoding excellence show literally an update to what we've been doing uh some of the new developments some of the things we're doing on the software side whether it's with uh some force plates or some velocity-based training methodologies that we've been utilizing and really some of the wellness questionnaires and just some of the technologies that we've been utilizing playing with and really trying to develop into our own sort of algorithms and the way that we use it here at Colorado and the way that we ultimately want to get better information so that we can make more actionable and better decisions with it. So it is a uh, hopefully a fun show and hopefully it's an informative show. But really, if anything else, it's just a catch up from literally a uh, six to eight month hiatus away from recording episodes here on the Decoding Excellence show. So I hope that the remainder of the rest of this podcast Podcast can really be uh, a great way to come back to you guys, to have a uh, have a platform to speak from, and um, just ultimately share some of the cool things that we're doing. So hopefully you take some things away from it. Hey everybody, it is your host Adam Ringler, and welcome to the Decoding Excellence Show. Thanks so much for tuning in. It has been a long time since I've recorded. I've actually probably recorded this intro bit nearly six to seven times. And each time I've recorded it, I deleted it uh, just simply because I think I've I've fallen off the horse and I haven't been able to get back on. So this episode will hopefully serve as a... uh, as a way of maybe recentering and getting back to the root of what the Decoding Excellence show is, but also maybe just, you know, building the the habit of uh, getting behind the microphone, talking a little bit about sports science and strength and conditioning and sports performance, but also just the, uh, the, the technical piece of recording a podcast. So... Uh, if you have been a longtime listener to this over the last 23 or 24 episodes, again, I want to welcome you back and thank you for your support. It means uh, a lot to me. But if you're a new listener, giving this a, you know, a chance on your typical weekly podcast rotation, um, hopefully I don't disappoint. Hopefully I don't let you down. But um, 
you know, if anything else, listen to the first 23 podcasts or, sh- uh, or so of the previous Decoding Excellence shows where we really try to, you know, interview and get down to the root of what it takes to be a uh, an excellent performer in all realms, whether it's strength conditioning, coaching, or even in your day-to-day life. You know, I think a lot of people wonder if the lessons that somebody learns on the Decoding Excellence show could apply to other areas, whether it be business, uh, entrepreneurship, finance, whatever it might be, or just, you know, trying to improve your own personal life. I think that the lessons that have been shared by a number of guests on the Decoding Excellence show transcend just sport itself. So I would encourage you to go back to those episodes. And by all means, we will continue our interviews with you know world-class performers to to hopefully try to uncover and uh, you know better understand what it takes and what sort of habits, routines, and tactics that these people utilize on a daily basis to really bring out their best work. Um, that's been always the um, emphasis of what this show is about, is really trying to get down and understand uh, those habits and then hopefully uncover those and share them in this medium. So you as a coach, you as a, a business person, you as whatever profession, whatever walk of life that you Uh, so choose that you can apply those habits and those lessons and improve your life and improve what you do on a daily basis. But just a a little bit of a backstory as we go into this uh, episode of the Decoding Excellence show, you might be wondering, Adam, where have you been? (laughs) It's been uh, probably at this point nine months, maybe even a year since the last published Decoding Excellence show. And yet, Every single month when the hosting company bills me for uh, the publication and hosting of these podcasts, I continue to pay it, (laughs) even though without recording a single show. So, um, And I do that because I think the first 23 episodes of the show has has warranted. And I want to continue to host those because I think there's some really great advice on those shows. But I also do it as a self-reminder that I need to get back behind the microphone continue some of the interview series that we've had with great practitioners, sports scientists, and other coaches. Um, And this is an episode, it's really a monologue where, you know, I'm sort of brushing off the dust of recording and talking and and sharing a little bit about what we've done over the last year. But it's also just sort of uh, getting used to the routine of, uh, of everything, of recording here. But you know, I think a lot of it, I might have said this in one of the, you know, six, seven, eight, nine edits that we've done uh, where I've immediately deleted it or never published it. And hopefully this this uh, this podcast survives the editing uh, editing room, right, where it actually goes out into publication into uh, the cloud. Um, and that's the emphasis. I think that's the hope of this one is really uh, publishing and producing something that uh, can be published. But I think in some of those edits, one of the things that I've said uh, numerous times is that the long hiatus uh, from publishing any Decoding Excellence podcast show has been simply because there just hasn't been enough downtime in this facility. You know, a lot of the publications I've done in the past um, and previous episodes were recorded either at my home or at, uh, at my previous office. And now here we are, and uh, and this facility over here at the uh, Colorado's Event Center, 
the CU Event Center here in uh, Boulder, Colorado. It is from sunup to sundown, busy, loud, going, athletes in, athletes out, and there's never any time to record. And the way I look at that is that it, that's a great problem um, because, number one, we're taking care of the student athletes and we're providing an, an excellent environment for them to train, continue to uh, hone their craft, get better, and to improve their athleticism. And, uh, and by no means do I ever want the Decoding Excellence show to be a distraction away from that. But here I am today. It is a, uh, a completely empty facility. All of our athletes are gone and I thought maybe in after hours we would try to record a show or at least put down something, maybe a 20, 35-minute episode, sort of catching up any of our loyal listening audience and catching them up to what's uh, what's been going on here. And we've had a number of things that we've uh, we've improved and we've continued to build here. And, and hopefully we can talk about some of the architecture of the sport, um, uh, sport science technologies and sport performance technologies that we're con- continuing to to hone and craft and some of them that we're looking to acquire. Um, but that's the nature of the show. So I think without further ado, let's let's get into, uh, into the actual technical and tactical and sports science discussions and rather than the catch-up. But again, maybe the last very thing I wanted to say is that if you have been a loyal listening audience member of the Decoding Excellence show and you've survived the 12-month hiatus away from publications – uh, from the bottom of my heart, the most sincere uh, gratitude here. Uh, thank you. So without further ado, let's get into the sports science piece of it. We have been busy. That is an understatement of any proportion. So we have been doing a lot of different things. So uh, from my arrival out here at, at University of Colorado Boulder, one of the chief responsibilities that I've had is really trying to grow the utilization of our athlete management software and system that we've uh, we have here, and that is a major undertaking. If you are familiar with software packages like Smartabase or Coach Me Plus, or uh, I don't even know Train Heroic, uh, or in our case the AMS that we currently utilize, Edge Ten, it is an undertaking to try to get. Uh, all of our various departments that we service here and that we provide to our student athletes, whether it's sports psychology, sports nutrition, if it's um, an athlete medical record system, like our, what our uh, athletic medicine uh, captures demographic data and injury data in, or if it's even just sports performance, it is an incredible task to try to get a software system that facilitates the needs, the desires, the requests from every single department. So a lot of uh, a lot of my responsibility was trying to build tools and technologies that would uh, suffice and would capture what those particular practitioners in those respective uh, domains and disciplines want from a from an athlete management system. So you know, I think when you start to discuss various needs analysis with different departments, what you'll find very quickly is that. The needs of an athletic trainer is very different than the needs of a sports performance coach, um, both from a time standpoint, from what's important to them, what they need to capture, and how they want that recorded, visualized, and reported uh, either back to themselves for you know injury audits or um, demographic data that they need to pull, injury statistics or trends. Uh, but also, it's it's just very different from from department to department. So. 
a lot of uh, a lot of what I've done over the last maybe six to eight months have have met with um, our various departments. We've discussed sort of the utilization of the technologies and the tools and and how to input and, and export data in and out of the AMS software. Uh, but it's also really trying to give them a lot of ownership of what they want to see and how they want to report it and what what they want the functionality of this AMS to be. Um, you know, what we'll see is that some departments will will want greater visualization tools and they want to be able to show it and report it and see dashboards and widgets and different sort of uh, graphical representations of the data. And that's that's very much important to them where other departments might not want that. They just want the raw data and being able to see it in a tabular uh, table type of view. So um, it's it's ultimately at the discretion of each department and each department head and, and what they're really searching for and what they want to get out of this AMS. But, you know, there's been a number of different sort of things that we've had to build, right? We've had some key uh, performance technologies that we've always had here at University of Colorado. Um, we have are fortunate enough to have dual force plates. We're fortunate enough to uh, have some wearable technologies that we equipped our athletes with. Um, but the challenge is how do we get these different data streams um, aggregated into one centralized location, right? So that we can start to get an idea of maybe, you know, different sort of uh, regression analysis on our force plate data compared against our uh, wearable technologies and work outputs, or maybe it's biomarkers, or it's subjective questionnaires, whether it's session RPE, looking at uh, the RPE of a training session and duration to get monotony strains, or if it's just, you know, self-reported mood and sleep and wellness, and being able to run those sort of uh, wellness score algorithms and get an understanding of how does one variable or one parameter, like a wellness score that we've... uh, created, how does that compare to some of the other hard outputs that we're getting from uh, from our wearable technologies and our force plate data? So this has been um, a challenging uh, feat in itself, right? To be able to pull in and create sort of systems to allow us to export or API um, raw data out of different uh, softwares. Um, some that might not independently want to work with an AMS. How do we get that data out and then vis-a-vis get it into a uh, our AMS? And that's the that's the challenge that we have. And it has been no easy feat by any uh, stretch of the imagination. And it has taken a lot of time and labor uh, looking at a lot of rows and columns of data to try to uh, architect it in a way that the system would ingest. And for those of you out there that spend a considerable amount of your time cleaning data, uh, then you understand. You just completely understand how how much of a, a feat that can be and how time-consuming. You know, just that in itself, cleaning data can be. But to parlay that on to not only having clean uh, data, coming out of uh, force plate data or wearable technologies, but to, to then be able to import that into a third-party AMS is, is you know, not always fun, but it is a crucial step of getting the right stakeholders, the right information so that we can make better actionable decisions from it. And that is, uh, that's ultimately sort of my soapbox of where I'll stand on is that, you know, I think a lot of times coaches – um, whether it's strength conditioning coaches, sport coaches, or whomever, with it, you know, when we start to talk about injectable 
uh, information, it can be very scary sometimes talking about data um, because what ultimately can happen is that the very near and dear ideas and methodologies and principles that you hold close to you that think elicit that, you know, the bias that we have that might think that those elicit a certain outcomes, data can sometimes, you know, reject that idea. Um, but that's not always a bad thing. I think if anybody is truly committed to their craft and to the process of getting better and self-improvement and self-accusation, then you understand that, you know, methods might change. Best practices will change. And upon new information or new data, then we need to alter our approach given that data and uh, and realign and sort of hopefully find a better direction of doing things. And I think if you're committed to getting better, um, then you will at least look at the data and then use your experience and your own gut instincts along with objective uh, information to make better decisions. And that has always been sort of my ethos or my mission is to provide coaches with incredible information that they can utilize to make better decisions down the road. So whether that's workload monitoring technologies or data, if it's subjective wellness questionnaires, if it's essentially building the support structures to support strength and conditioning coaches, sports scientists, or sport performance coaches, or even sport coaches, skill instructors, so that they can do their better work, so the athlete is in a better position to receive that information and be able to execute the tactical, technical um, outputs that that sport coach needs so we can win games, win championships, um, and ultimately succeed in whatever competitive field environment that they uh, compete in. So, um, that's a little bit of a nutshell of some of the things that we're doing. You know, we obviously, I, I discussed very early on, early in the show that we utilize some force plate technology. Um, we have AMTI force plates and we use a, a software system called AccuPower that allows us to, uh, to get the raw data out of the force plates and to, um, really get it anywhere we need. And then we, we run that through our AMS software and we compute our own sort of load, explode, and drive uh, parameters, very similar to um, competing uh, force plate, you know, softwares out there. Um, but we run it through a very similar algorithm and a similar parameters and and we visualize that in a very similar way. We have a, an athlete database system that, you know, calculates the averages of, uh, of those three parameters and then we essentially assign an, an individual athlete T-score for that, um, compare it against that group average so that every single time an athlete steps on and jumps and does a series of their force, uh, force play analysis, they can visually see how those three parameters are changing and their movement signature continues to change. Um, and that's been, um, that's been a fun project to work on and to really try to grow that system and, and to utilize some of these different parameters in a way that we haven't otherwise already utilized here at Colorado. Um, we've also have some workload technologies that we workload monitoring technologies that we utilize. So we have some softwares, um, wearable tech through uh, a polar team pro system that we've been utilizing to get accelerations and decelerations and, and velocity bands and uh, heart rate data from our athletes so we equipped uh, a majority of our men's basketball and women's basketball athletes with these sensors. And uh, and otherwise, we continue to sort of do some silent monitoring on that. And we, 
We look at the workloads on a given practice or a given week or a given game. And it's just so that we better understand as practitioners what the demands are of each sport. What's the demands of the Pac-12 competitive women's basketball uh, season or men's basketball season? And this gives us a better uh, idea of sort of the preparation that we might need to do to get them prepared for those demands in the given preseason or a given offseason period. What are the fitness parameters that they need to be able to achieve to be successful during a non-conference schedule? Well, if we don't measure that, it's very hard to manage that and manage expectations and then therefore prepare for those expectations. So we do a lot of uh, a lot of capturing of that and we get some ideas and we we utilize that information to uh, to better prepare our student athletes for the outcomes, the rigors of what our preseason in season periods would look like. So, but then again, you know, we have to, you know, data alone is not powerful enough. Where there's a visualization element to all that we do, so we need to be able to longitudinally look at the data and, and graphically be able to show changes. Uh, whether it's in heart rate data or, you know, trimp or total distance or distances at high velocity bands um, or whether it's, uh, you know, changing accelerations, deceleration ratios, or maybe even expanding on Tim Gabbett's work and looking at one or two of these parameters and running acute chronic workload ratios or exponentially weighted moving averages off of that so that we can hopefully try to intervene in periods where we have high workloads or high peaks and our uh, ACWR ratio is, you know, in the uh, overreaching or overtraining portion of it. But maybe on the flip side as well, if we're, you know, coming off of a road game and we have uh, maybe, uh, you know, not a very deep bench and we have players that aren't getting the necessary workloads to keep their fitness up and their workload or ACWR is actually dropping and they're sort of an undertraining period, then we know that we might need to do some top-offs and we might need to do some additional running or cardiovascular work to give them the workloads, not only from an internal aspect on the heart rate, but also from an external standpoint, um, the muscles, the tendons, the ligaments, and get them up and down the court and get them prepared for that change of direction component of what it takes to be successful in the basketball court or anywhere else. So we can utilize ACWRs and EWMAs and, and Gabbett's work. We can look at one or two couple key parameters and make sure that we keep our eye on that and make sure that they're not exceeding any sort of uh, critical thresholds where injury might be at a heightened state. And ultimately, we can use this information to uh, to sit down with the coaching staff and say, hey, you were right on task. Everybody's where, we're, where we need to be or to increase workloads or decrease workloads. But you know, a lot of the times, a lot of the manipulation comes from, you know, trying to protect the very essence of what they already do. And that's practice, right? So where can we manipulate other um, uh, parameters or where can we manipulate other stimuli or loads, you know, protecting for that two to three hour window practice? So can we decrease loading in the weight room? Can we increase recovery modalities to try to help them? Can we find sort of novel ideas to, uh, you know, reduce the workloads while still maintaining the integrity and the skill development necessary for, you know, increased performance and increased, you know, skill acquisition for the student athlete. So that is some of the things that that we've worked with with our wearable technologies and, and how we monitor that and how we visualize that data and report it. But I think ultimately one of the big things we want to do is be able to take all of these different data streams, aggregate it into a centralized location like our AMS. And then to overlay, 
you know, key injury demographics on top of it. So when we start to notice a spike in ACWRs, do we have objective data um, that shows injury, you know, injury dem- demographics or statistics, time loss or, you know, mechanisms of injuries and, and how they've occurred, frequency of those injuries, you know. And then we can all start to overlay in-game statistics. So we can start to look at, you know, different percentiles and different, you know, statistics given the the actual game, whether it's volleyball or basketball, um, you know, in some respects there. Can we look at player efficiency, you know, and then overlay that with uh, with injury demographics or look at wellness questionnaires or subjective information or or, or really objective off of the uh, accelerometry and the GPS devices that our athletes wear. And can we start to say, wow, you know, like when we run a regression analysis and we, we look at when our sleep is low or quality or quantity of sleep is low and we've noticed that we have an injury uptick or a frequency of injury uptick in our teams or when our wellness indicators start to drop a little bit into more of a negative range, we notice that these sort of uh, tendinopathy type injuries or upticks from there, right? And all of this is hypothetical, right? Just via HIPAA. But you know, that's the type of information that we want to be able to have and be able to utilize so that we can start to hopefully intervene on that. And uh, and while the sample size is very small, right, within a given organization, we can start to infer maybe some decisions. And uh, we can start to infer some trends. And hopefully the idea is to use this information in a meaningful way to say, hey, last time that we've had and we've noticed this uptick uh, in – um, a, a negative value, right? Maybe it's uh, overtraining in an ACWR, EWMA, or it's a, a sleep decrease or an increase in fatigue, irritability, or mood or something like that. We then noticed X, Y, or Z. And the idea for the practitioners is that we can intervene before X, Y, or Z happens and keep our athletes injury-free. And as we know, the greatest ability an athlete has is not – their repeat jump ability or change of direction ability or um, repeat sprint ability, their greatest ability they have is their availability. And we want to keep our best players competing, practicing, training hard, and pushing the team to success. So we very much want to build that robustness in our student-athletes, but we also want to protect them as well. We have the data that might support that. So those are just some of the ways that we're using some of the performance technologies and some of the the, the sports science uh, tools that we have and and really trying to create a system where our student athletes have a you know a, a monitoring system that's that's built around them that's non-invasive that is there to protect them and to help them and to ultimately help provide our coaching staffs with great high quality meaningful information so that when they're drawing up dra- your practice plans or discussing, the week ahead leading into a tournament or leading into competition that we can make greater and better decisions based off that information. Well, I really don't know where to go from there. Uh, You know, I could obviously talk about sports science and technologies forever. And I often do on the Decoding Excellence show because that's a huge passion of mine. Um, But some of the other things I think that we should come back around on, I know you know, I've posted this on social media. We've done a lot of question and answers on my Instagram at Adam Ringler about sports science and, and you know, 
performance technologies, but maybe to get away from it, I wanted to center back on some of the things that I'm trying to to do more uh, in 2019, right? So it's uh, right now it's November. Hopefully this gets published in November. Um, unlike a lot of the other episodes that I've recorded that's never published, <laughs> which is about six or seven of them, it seems like over the last year of trying to get back to recording more frequent Decoding Excellence shows. But some of the things I've been doing more often, right? And there's some some uh, some key things that might be uh, redundant because I've mentioned them on other shows. But the biggest thing I've I've you know noticed, I suppose, is I I went out and bought a new notebook. And for you guys, that's like, oh man, you know, here Adam Ringler is talking again about notebooks. But I have always been a huge proponent of bullet journaling. And I've, you know, I've gone through, I don't know, maybe six or seven moleskins. I've gravitated um, to a different uh, notebook um, that I think is more conducive to bullet journaling. I, I butcher the pronunciation of it all the time. The uh, Lurch term 1917 is probably my favorite journal. Hardcore bullet journalists out there, journalists. Um, probably know the pronunciation much better than I do, but that is my go-to notebook for b- bullet journaling. If you were to stop by, by uh, 950 Region Drive in Boulder, Colorado at the CU Event Center, you would easily find two or three of these journals on my desk. And the reason is every single year, you know, in, in November, December, I go online, Amazon, and I buy a $17 journal. And uh, every single year, I try to bullet journal or rapid journal as much of my day, week, month, year in this thing. And I, at this point in time, I have, you know, like I said, seven or eight of these journals. And uh, that's seven or eight years of, uh, of entries that I've put into these journals. And I absolutely love it because, you know, the, uh, there's a, I'm going to butcher the quote, but I love it because it's, it's so true is that the faintest of ink is better than the strongest memory. And what I mean by that is that if I were to ask you right now, the listener, what you did in February 2017 on, um, let's just say, Monday the 13th, I barely, I, I would guess that almost nobody knows unless you recorded that or you looked on your smartphone. Um, but you know, what I've done on this bullet journal is I can tell you every, every single day what I was thinking or maybe a note that I wrote down. Um, and I have this for years and years of it. And while that might seem obsessive, uh, but it makes a great alibi in the event of a crime. <laughs> but uh, it's a way for me to uh, get out of my head and get it onto paper. And I found that writing things down, journaling things down has been a huge um, tool, a life hack, if you will, for me being able to uh, better understand, you know, my own thinking, but also to be able to control and and to, you know, shape the narrative that I'm, you know, having in my day to day. So Ryan Carroll is the author. He wrote uh, a recent book called The Bullet Journal Method that should be out on Amazon and elsewhere. It's a phenomenal read. It's a it's a great read if you have never done bullet journaling because it provides an introductory sort of course to bullet journaling. But even you hardcore 
uh, Bujos out there that's been doing this for many years. I even picked up a couple new tips just, you know, reading Ryan's book. Um, so definitely a great recommendation. That's been a book that I read through quickly and and hopefully continue to help uh, shape, shape my own bullet journaling um, methodologies as I go through that. Um, a couple other key acquisitions that, you know, from a personal standpoint that I've made, uh, we do have a dual mic that sits across my desk and it sits to nobody right now. Uh, nobody's utilizing it. This is a, a long form monologue <laughs> where I'm just talking to myself. I'm thinking, I'm picturing you guys out there listening to this show, but otherwise the, the secondary microphone is for a key reason because uh, in 2019, that has been my uh, my hope is to do more live interviews. So if you pass by Boulder, Colorado, and you have something to say, I'd love for you to come in here, knock on my door, and let's record a show together. And this can be both, you know, physically if you happen to be in Boulder, Colorado, but also digitally, right? And that's this expands just that, right? We can. Uh, I do want to interview more uh, high performance coaching. Uh, practitioners and and people that are at the uh, top of their game, whatever d- discipline or domain that they might be, and uh, and do more interviews because I think that's a great skill to have is to be able to um, interview people and get a better uh, understanding of what makes them tick and the lessons that they've learned along their own sort of pathway maturation through life. And really, that's been – I've mentioned this before and, and shows past has been – that's been the entire genesis of, of why I wanted to do this show is to not only bring great quality information to you guys, the listening audience that's listening to the show right now, but also there's something selfish about this show and it, that is I wanted to improve my own ability to uh, to be able to hold an interview and to be able to uh, discuss you know, various topics and, and obviously putting a microphone in front of your face is a, uh, <laughs> a way to do that. It creates a high pressure situation, but it also allows you to listen, audit your own approach, change things and, and try to have a rapid self-improvement on it. So this show is dual purpose, right? It is to bring you guys great info and then to also uh, some self-improvement here. And that is just you know, stepping up to bat, trying to swing it and, and, uh, and learn as you go and make adjustments as, uh, as the pitches keep coming or as the shows keep, uh, being produced. So that's been something that, you know, I'm looking forward to in 2019 is to, to have more interviews, both live, uh, in person and also digitally across Skype and other different, um, recording, uh, disciplines and streams. So I want to wrap this show up with a couple different things, uh, and that is maybe some of the things I've changed over the last 12 months, right? There's been this huge absence from the beginning of uh, the Decoding Excellence show and from the last show that's been produced and, and published, the last interview, and an update here, uh, which is you know currently happening right now, and that there's been a lot of changes, right? So my responsibilities have changed quite a bit. Um, obviously, a location has changed. You know, I'm no longer in in Kansas. I'm out here in beautiful Colorado, and uh, and with that, there's been sort of a, a much needed return to nature for me. 
I have a family that absolutely loves the outdoors, and I don't know if there's any better place than to be able to head five miles westward and be able to be at the face of a mountain and to be able to, you know, climb and hike and, and enjoy the, the beautiful scenery that we have. So really, I think that a lot of the changes have been, you know, getting away from technology. I spent the entire show of the Decoding Excellence show here talking about performance technologies and uh, and how much I love them. And, you know, I, I could have probably went on and talked about Python and R and some of the things that we're doing and, and some of the coding and that we're trying to, uh, to build here and, and to utilize with the data that we already have, right? But we, I, I wanted to juxtapose that with the idea that um, a lot of what I've changed over the last six to 12 months has been getting away from technologies and, uh, and getting back closer into nature and really trying to spend more time. Uh, with my family and my loved ones. So um, a couple key different things is, you know, regularly hikes with our family, getting away from phones, technologies, being OTG or off the grid. Um, but also one of the things that I've utilized quite frequently, um, much to some success and some failure, is really setting some phone limitations for me. So uh, with Apple iOS 12, um, they introduced a screen time function for your phones. And you can find this in the setting functionality of uh, your iPhone. But what I have tried to do is uh, every week, Sunday, I get an email notification and a pop-up push notification from my phone that talks about the screen time that I use. And I went through and set downtime periods for my phone. I went through and set app limits and every week I'm attempting to try to bring those app limits down five minutes. So I know this sounds absolutely terrible, um, but I'm a product of the society that I live in, right? So, you know, right now my app limit, Instagram, 50 minutes a day. Uh, and this is max, right? That, that I can utilize. If I leave the app up, it's, don't, it's gone. I won't be able to access it anymore that day. I use Slack quite a bit for work, um, but also communication, Apollo, which is Reddit, essentially, um, both of Slack and Apollo is an hour and 55 minutes because I know myself. <laughs> so I set a little higher limit. Twitter, if you've wondered, yeah, Adam, where have you gone on Twitter? I, do you even browse it? I do. Um, I don't post as much as I used to on Twitter um, for two reasons. Number one, one of the reasons is that uh, my app limit that I set for Twitter is only 28 minutes a day. So I really try to read, I try to aggregate, you know, like to, to browse the information. I make use of their recommendation engine of, you know, key tweets that I've missed. Um, and they're mostly data science or sports science related. So I catch up on those. I bookmark them or push them to uh, my pocket, which is a bookmarking app that I use on my phone and uh, desktop. Uh, but the second reason I, I'm not on Twitter so much, or at least I don't appear to be on Twitter so much, is that I really utilized through the last seven or so, six years, uh, an application called Buffer. Um, and I spoke about this before with other people in that I, I scheduled a lot, of, uh, a lot of the things. So if I were to bookmark an article that I think that uh, is enjoyable, that I, I read and I said, wow, like this is a really good article. When I bookmark it, it would automatically be scheduled to be tweeted. And I do that because I think if it's worth bookmarking, it's worth sharing with other people. 
So a lot of that was automated in the past. And uh, and since moving out here, I really just haven't continued that practice of at least automating uh, that process of uh, those retweets or those shares. So um, that's that's probably a reason why you haven't seen me on the social so much. Um, you might see me on Instagram doing a Q&A, apparent, you know, apparently every once in a while. But really, I've just tried to get away from technology. Um, if there's a way that I could get rid of my smartphone, I probably would. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of minimalistic phones on the market that uh, – at least to my eye, seem sort of intriguing. Um, I would be uh, hesitant to actually fully move away from the Apple ecosystem, but I would love to potentially try in sort of microdose sort of fashions. Um, and that's been sort of my attempt to utilize uh, that screen time functionality and really set some hard limits on my ability to use social media. Um, I've talked about it before in the past, but grayscaling out your phone display. So that's a, a feature that people can utilize also native in the settings application. If you were to go to settings and then go down to general and then um, accessibility and continue to go all the way down to, I'm trying to physically look at it on my um, phone right now. There we go. From display accommodations to color filters, you toggle that from off to on, and then you'll see that you'll have a grayscale selection item from there. I have it so that anytime I triple click my home button on my phone, uh, that it immediately goes to grayscale. Because sometimes I I have a need to do um, some color sensitive work, but Otherwise, what a lot of the research is suggesting is that we are no different than the the primate origins that we are, that when we see colors, that we respond accordingly. So uh, smartphone designers, application designers all design with that sort of uh, with that notion, with that understanding that, you know, bright, shiny things attract us. (laughs) So if you want to utilize your phone less then it would be upon it on ourselves to actually make our phone less attractive and less shiny. So that's where that grayscale functionality comes from. There's been a, a couple key uh, great articles by the New York Times and, and other publications that talked about grayscaling and sort of kicking the technological uh, addiction, if you will. And, uh, and that's been sort of my process as well. So that has been something I've been up to and hope to continue onward in 2019. Hey, everybody, that's going to be a wrap with today's Decoding Excellence show. I want to thank you so much for making it this far. Uh, you know, one of the hardest things I think I've have done in the last sort of six to 12 months is actually sitting down to record this thing. And uh, it looks like I've made it 42 some minutes. So I am, uh, I'm glad that we can publish something. Uh, hopefully there's some things in it that, uh, that you can take away. And if nothing else, hopefully it creates, you know, some conversation and we can go back and forth. You listen to this, you find something like, oh damn, I'm, uh, I'm doing the exact same thing at X university or this organization. Let's talk. Let's pick up the phone. Let's connect and let's go through this and, uh, 
and have a conversation about some of the similarities and maybe it's you know the challenges we're facing or some of the the uh, corrections and how we've re-navigated different um, challenges across the way. But thank you so much for supporting the show and sticking to it. I promise that we're going to have some really, really great episodes coming up in the future. So whether it's interviews with other strength and conditioning coaches or returning back to more sports science oriented and practitioners, or even nutritionalists or physical therapists. A lot of this is centering around sport performance practitioners and whatever walks of life that they come from. So I'm looking forward to this upcoming year of continuing to record more often. And I hope that this sort of episode is sort of the the shaking of the dust off of it and trying to uh, get back into a routine of doing more episodes publishing some great content for you guys and continuing to uh to keep the narrative and keep the conversation surrounding uh great high performance coaches and uh and if you took anything away from the show i would encourage you please share it on your uh source or your favorite social media i know i spent a lot of the show talking about anti-social media but share it because ultimately this helps Uh, other coaches find the show and it might help them navigate some of the challenges and problems that they have as well. So please, uh, that's the very best way that you can support the show is by sharing it with somebody that you care about or sharing the show on your favorite social media platform of choice. Oh my goodness, that's a tongue twister. Uh, But until next time, I appreciate you guys. Thanks so much.